You're listening to the First Fight Podcast, home of the people and stories behind the fight. I'm Jennifer Anderson, the host and creator. My goal is to give you a peek into the remarkable world of fighting and create a platform for fighters to tell their stories. In each episode of this series, a different fighter shares a transformative story of their first time. Today I'm doing another special episode where I interview someone with a different perspective of the industry, not necessarily a fighter, and today it is going to be an MMA journalist. I'll be talking with Hunter Homestek, who has worked for Flow Sports, Bleacher Report. He is a sports writer, a digital marketer. He recently started his own business and was also appointed as the general manager of 24-7 fighting championships out of Pittsburgh. So Hunter is one of the good guys. I love him. I love his work. Uh, we talk a little bit about how the landscape of MMA journalism has changed with the introduction of superstars such as Conor McGregor. We talked a little bit about my husband, Corey Anderson, as well. And Hunter actually flips the script in true journalist fashion and interviews me a bit at the end. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking with Hunter and take a listen. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it. Um, looking to get a perspective from someone different this time, a journalist. How did you get involved in MMA in the first place? Yeah, for sure. I think like a lot of people, I just really enjoyed the UFC when it was blowing up. Back in, I would say, 2005, 2006, I started getting very into it. One of my cousins, who's uh, like 10 years older than me, he was buying all the pay-per-views at the time. So I was still like a sophomore in high school, and my cousin would always buy the pay-per-views, and it was, you know, Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes and Randy Couture days. So it was easy to fall in love with the sport then. So we would always just watch the fights, and it just became a sport that I was attracted to and that I absolutely loved. And then when I was in college, um, I went to West Virginia University, WVU, and I worked for the school's newspaper there. And West Virginia actually legalized MMA while I was there. So they had their first sanctioned MMA fights when I was in college, and I covered them for the school's newspaper. And then that really just kick-started the, the whole journalism thing because I, I have a degree in journalism and did a, a ton of reporting right out of college. And uh, I went from the school's paper to Bleacher Report. So I was working for Bleacher Report when I was still in college as well, covering the UFC, actually. So I had that kind of local MMA with the school's newspaper plus national-level MMA with, the, with covering the UFC for Bleacher Report. So... It just got me involved in the sport on every level. But, yeah, it all it all started with just being a fan. <laughs> now, do you remember attending your first MMA fight? Absolutely, because it, it was huge for me being there for my first fight, but also that I was working <laughs> when I was there. Like, it, it was also one of my first assignments ever as a journalist, like being on the ground, on site. I remember being blown away by the fights live, like the first – body kick I ever heard in person I, I just couldn't believe how loud and how vicious everything sounded in person versus tv like you can genuinely hear and feel the impact differently at live events and I I encourage everybody you know I think everybody wants to go to Vegas to see a Conor McGregor fight but I think it's just as awesome to go to your local MMA show and just see what your local fighters have I mean there's there's so many great local shows all around the United States and 
there's probably one in your backyard. And like, if you're an MMA fan and you're not going, then you're doing yourself a disservice. I think your first show was a local MMA show. Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. your first big event, first UFC event? I should for sure. Like, um, it was either UFC Fairfax or UFC 169. I want to say, uh, Hen and Burrell. I want to say it was the main event, 169. Was it 169? I can't remember. But it was definitely for Bleacher Report. It, it was one of those shows. Um, that that was an entirely different experience for me because growing up, I was a huge Steelers fan, uh, Pittsburgh sports fan. So I had been to Steelers games and Penguins games and national-level sporting events, but never fights like that. And with only going to local fights previously and then stepping into those UFC fights, I mean, it's just a whole different production. Obviously – the crowds are larger, but what really struck me was as working it, the, the level of coordination between the PR people, the UFC staff and the reporters on site. You know, when you cover a local show, it's basically you just show up and tell them who you are and then you're free to walk wherever you want, talk to whoever you want and just roam around and do whatever you got to do. But with the UFC, there were so many more rules and guidelines and things like that that I had to adapt to. So that was the crazy part of the experience on that level. But as far as, you know, the fights themselves, it was exactly what you would expect. Bigger, louder, just everything about it was just blown up to the nth degree. Do you think that the landscape of MMA journalism has changed a lot since you got your start? Oh, it absolutely has. I mean, I got out of MMA journalism a bit in 2018, but just from, 2011 to 2018, I mean, the shifts were very obvious even then. Um, when I started, I was so new to it that I didn't feel like I could, you know, comment on the way things were or anything like that because I didn't know how things were supposed to be, and I had no expectations going in. So I was kind of just like a kid that, like, jumped, j- like I jumped out of a moving car and was trying to keep my feet under me. Like, like, I was just running. I was just trying to keep my feet under me and do whatever it took to make a name for myself and everything. So... At first, it was just hectic, but then as I settled in, I got to tell a lot of great stories and interview a lot of fighters. You know, I was always big on that versus the clickbaity style headlines and things, but you definitely saw that start to take over. You know, when Conor McGregor came and took over, like he said he would, he didn't come to take part, he came to take over, and he did. And uh, when that happened, it was like every step that Conor McGregor made had to be an article. Like, no matter what Conor McGregor was doing, if he bought a new car, if he tweeted, like, whatever it is, you have to cover Conor McGregor doing this. So that was insane to me. Um, I got it. Like, I have I have a marketing background as well, and I always have done a ton of marketing for various clients and things. So I always understood why it was important for the website that I was working for to cover these stories and why, you know, the page views and everything mattered. But as a journalist and coming from journalism school, it did sting a little bit to know that that was kind of where the industry was headed. And that's definitely, that's not to say that some people still don't tell amazing stories because they definitely, definitely do. But I feel like they're much, much more few and far between nowadays. I've talked about how Conor McGregor kind of shifted the way things are going in my interview with Frankie Edgar, just about how fighters kind of market themselves differently now because of him. And um, do you believe that, you know, what MMA got out of Conor McGregor, i.e. more viewers, 
um, publicity, do you think that is worth the, the changes that it's also made in the fans and the fighters? I mean, there's definitely no doubt that the level of attention he brought to the sport gave new opportunities to other fighters to do their thing. Like, would Colby Covington have ever felt the need to be the character he is if Connor didn't kind of show the way with that? And I think even before Connor, obviously you had Chael Sonnen kind of doing it, but Chael did it very differently than Connor. Connor kind of went off the deep end with it. You know, with Chael, it always felt like an act, and it, it was always like a comedian almost, and it was just yeah. hilarious and funny. Connor made it a lot more personal with his attacks and obviously a lot of his personal decisions, you know, being in the spotlight for the wrong reasons a lot of times gave him a different kind of edge. But it, it became clear that people were attracted to that and people wanted to read those headlines and that was the popularity contest, so to speak. Like, there's no doubt that he was winning it. And I know, like, I'm sure you've heard it, but, like, Colby Covington got kind of an ultimatum from the UFC before his fight with Damian Maya. They were basically like, if you don't become more interesting, we're going to have to cut you no matter what happens. Like, your contract's up. Nobody wants to watch you. You're kind of, like, expendable to us at this point. And that's when Colby just went full on, you know, turned full heel in Brazil and just captured everybody's attention. So you see the way he opened the doors for people to do this. And when people try and it's not authentic, it just doesn't work. But it brings fans in. And, like, I do think to your question, like, it's good that Connor did this in so many ways to open the sport up to new people who probably are very serious fans that will continue to invest their time, energy, and money into the sport, which is the goal here. But it has to come at some cost, and I think that that's kind of just like anything. You know, you have to take the good with the bad with literally anything. So it wasn't the perfect solution by any means, but I think ultimately, yes, it, it was worth it for the UFC and for kind of the MMA universe at large. I agree. I agree, too. I, I, I was a fan of Conor McGregor a long time ago and in the beginning, but um, – Things shift. You definitely, like you said, can tell when the act is authentic. You know, he was good at his acts in the beginning, and Colby Covington is not good at it, I don't think. <laughs> you know, like certain, I, I hate seeing all these young fighters come up and they're inspired by that, but it's just like, just be yourself. You, you can play up certain things, but you can just smell it when someone's not being authentic, you know? It's absolutely true, and I think it's interesting. It's something that you probably know better than almost anybody on earth because Corey's been Corey from day one. Like, he's never even tried to be that guy or been anything other than himself, and he, he's been public about how it kind of hurt him in his UFC career, but even knowing that he should have maybe changed things, he never did, and I think that's what makes him so special is that whenever Corey talks, you know you're getting the real thing from him, you know, you know it's the real talk from Corey Anderson, which is what I always respected so much from him, among other things, but it's cool to see him find his way and show younger fighters, I think, now that there's another way, too, like where he's at right now is on the brink of something very special, and he did it his way without giving in to that kind of trash talk, superstar popularity contest along the way, so I think just as much as Connor showed that you can do it that way, it's cool to see people like Corey show that winning fights still matters. <laughs> you know, that's great. Yeah, I mean, he definitely says what he thinks. It's a blessing and a curse of his. He's not always I'm, – I'm more PC about things and I guess care a little more about image and whatnot and just playing, you know, 
taking the right moves in your career, but the way we did it or he did it, it ended up working out for the best by far. So, you know, he's happy. We're happy with it. And it's kind of a story in life. There's got to be people that are willing to stick to their guns and keep it real and have integrity. Cause if everyone plays that game, then nothing is real. You know, I'm sure you've dealt with that being a journalist. It, it's an art and it's easy to get pulled into the, like you said, the clickbait, the things that are popular at the moment, get you the most views and whatnot, but it's hard to kind of stick to your guns and do it for what you think is best, what you think is good content, you know? Yeah, it really is. And then in MMA journalism, like there's a secondary kind of challenge, I think, for a lot of journalists. And that's that the most popular writers break the most news. And it's kind of like a chicken or the egg situation. Like, do they break the most news because they're the most popular and they're the best? Or do they get fed news because they're the most popular and the best? So managers are always talking to them. I know it's like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Like Ariel Hawani was and is one of the hardest working people in MMA journalism. Like as much as people criticize him and say whatever they want about him, the dude was busting his ass before anybody even knew that MMA journalism was a viable career path. Like he is where he is because of how hard he worked. But as he got more popular – it became easier for him to break news because managers knew like, Oh, well we're just going to give him this story because he has a a billion followers on Twitter and it's going to blow up. So they start spoon feeding people news at the top. So now MMA journalists at the bottom have that challenge to face too. It's like, not only are you working uphill and trying to understand what people want to read and why they want to read it, but you're also going to struggle to get news because it's, it's going straight to the top first. It's almost like a PR more than journalism. You know, it's, it's not true journalism by any means. And I'm not, I'm genuinely not saying that's a bad thing because I think the landscape works. And I think Ariel is where he is because he deserves it. And he's certainly not the only person that benefits from things like this, but I think at the top, you see something that doesn't really resemble journalism anymore. And you see Ariel now, you know, being on his own, being separated from ESPN, he's, he's going rogue a lot. You know, he's kind of, he's being more entertaining for sure and being more of who I think he truly is, which is awesome to see, but which they would never teach in journalism school. So I think it's cool to see that evolution of journalism. That's the natural progression of things. I think it's less, you know, strict reporting and it's more personalities now. So I think as much as we talk about the fighters kind of showing their personality and hype and fight, Journalists almost have to do the same thing now. Like a journalist needs to have an act and a brand and everything to attract the audience that's attractive. What would you say made you step away from reporting MMA? It is the pressure to do those types of clickbait articles or? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much that as much as it was. I had an opportunity just locally here. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And like I said, I grew up a Steelers fan, Pittsburgh sports fan, and there was an opening in a company that covered the Steelers, Pirates, University of Pittsburgh, and uh, I had the opportunity to work for them, and it was kind of just like me living out a childhood dream, you know, like I just wanted that opportunity to talk to Pittsburgh Steelers and cover Steelers games and things like that, so I did that for a year and a half and then started my own company and and uh, do a lot of digital marketing now, things like that for my clients, but uh, 
Also just got hired and promoted within 247 Fighting Championships, which I know Corey was just out at their show with Rex Harris's main event. So it, it was hilarious to bump into Corey there. I was like, of all people, like I had no idea he was going to be there. And I was just backstage. I'm like, is that freaking Corey Anderson? Like, why are you? I'm like, is that Hunter? <laughs> is yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, why is why is Corey Anderson in Johnstown, Pennsylvania? Like, this is crazy. But yeah, it was it was awesome, obviously, to bump into him. But that they've that promotion has kind of pulled me back in. So okay. I'm doing a lot of yeah, I'm doing a lot of local MMA work now, but not not so much as a pure journalist or reporter, but a lot of just helping build their brand and get yeah. them where they want to be, which is, you know, the premier MMA organization in Western PA, which I think they're well on their way, man. I love the way they do things. It's really interesting for me to learn the business side of being a promoter more. So it's it's a really cool opportunity for me. It's something that I definitely couldn't turn down. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Corey, so Corey first met you in Indiana, he said. You were with Dwayne Finley. Yeah, yeah regrettably right like who wants to be associated with Dwayne I hope he hears this <laughs> but yeah we worked together I worked with Dwayne at Bleacher Report and then also at Flow Combat so I mean Dwayne and I were like inseparable when we worked together for a long time you know it was like the dynamic duo everywhere we went road tripping and everything so obviously I love Dwayne and think the world of him step away from MMA too so he did for a while, yeah, but he's slowly climbing back in. Like, it's not necessarily breaking news, but he's working for a company called uh, Spectation Sports now. And they it's kind of like early days of Flow Combat, live streaming local MMA events, but they're also, like, heavily involved in sports betting. So it's kind of like MMA with a betting edge to it, like, rooted in betting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's actually a really interesting idea they got going on. But Dwayne just uh, – signed with them to write a couple articles here and there to kind of get his feet back into the MMA writing game. So I'm I'm definitely obviously excited to see him get back after it. And I know just from talking to him personally, he's had a lot of other offers as well for other organizations and stuff. So I think you're going to see Dwayne get back into it heavier for sure moving forward. Nice. That's good to hear. I know. I think it was him and you, you guys are all talking with Corey on on a podcast. Yeah. About, yeah, we like the clickbait because Corey he was kind of not wanting to do any interviews lately because of that. So I know they were commiserating on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had we had one of the best interviews I think of my life across any sport with Corey for that podcast. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, it was exactly what you said. Like, and and what was hilarious was that Corey said that, you know, like I'm trying not to do as much media now because they just twist my words. But like we talked to Michael Johnson right before that, Gray Maynard right before that. Every single fighter we talked to was saying that. So like since I've been out of the game, apparently things have gotten even worse because I didn't know it was at that level where like fighters didn't even want to talk to media anymore. That kind of blew my mind. It's even like, you know, legit outlets, I feel like, are still kind of, we're running articles like that. I mean, like when Corey left the UFC, you know, his manager would call, like, why are you saying this? And they're like, he's like, I'm not saying anything. Out of everything I say, they pick the one thing that'll, you know, make it look like I'm talking shit about the UFC or whatever, you know. 
Yeah. He just got sick of it. It just added extra distraction and it's just not authentic, you know. You don't want right. to be explaining yourself all the time. And especially someone like Corey, he doesn't always um, have the most tact <laughs> when he's speaking. <laughs> so, you know, he, he can definitely put his foot in his mouth sometimes and they'll definitely capitalize on it. So <laughs> just would rather not. That's the, that's the really shitty part of it, though, is, is exactly what you said. Like, out of everything I said, they're going to pull this one part and that's the headline. And, like, so many people – will literally only read the headline and then react to it. And then that's on Twitter. And then that becomes the conversation. It's like, dude, you guys definitely didn't even listen to what I said. Like you're literally just reacting to this headline, which was four words out of a 8,000 word interview that I did. And the site, you know, they know exactly what they're doing. That's no mistake. They know, they know that kind of headline that's going to just set people on fire and create a discussion. And that's, that's good for them. Like I said, having the marketing background and everything, I understand what they're after with that, but I don't necessarily respect it, you know, and I can do it too. And I have done it too. I'm not going to act like I've never made a clickbait headline. Like there's been times in my life where I knew my boss would love it if I got an article with a hundred thousand views, you know, so I did it and yeah. it sucks looking back. You know, I wish that I wouldn't have done those things, but I also knew, you know, the business side of things and what my boss is looking for, what the company's looking for and what would help me in my career. So I understand the struggle that these writers that do that are facing, but we just urge them, you know, the real, the real stuff, especially with a guy like Corey, because he, like you said, he speaks his mind. Like if you, if you skip through the whatever headline you're looking for and just listen to what he's actually saying, it's going to be a great story. Nonetheless, like this is a, top-level fighter in the world speaking his mind, it's a really unique opportunity to hear exactly what he thinks. Like, that's that's really awesome on its own. You don't need to do the whole clickbait thing. Yeah. I mean, as a writer, you're always trying to obviously find something newsworthy in what you're printing, but um, hopefully not at the expense, expense of your subject, you know. So, unfortunately, that not everyone takes that path so things are interesting i i'm happy for you that you are doing your own thing now and kind of dictating your future more than having other people do it for you so <laughs> absolutely thank exciting. you for that yeah and i wish you the best and hopefully i mean maybe rex will fight for 24 7 again um maybe Corey will be out there again and we'll that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be amazing. Rex looked incredible, man. He was he was amazing. Oh, it's just been like years, you know, and it's hard to like go back to the regional scene and get fine fights. So yeah, that yeah, I thought that was perfect. I thought that was super interesting talking to Corey afterwards, and I kind of asked him what he thought of the regional scene, and he kind of reminded me like I knew this but didn't quite put it together but he like reminded me that he never fought regionally like he went straight from the ultimate fighter into the UFC obviously and that's how he started his career and it's just like damn man you're right like you never experienced this little local MMA scene so that's cool for him I'm sure to see that and for Rex a guy who has been on the national stage with World Series of Fighting and PFL and everything to be back there like I'm sure it's a little humbling and hard for him, but at the same time, like 
when you get a first round knockout like that, you're not going to be there long. <laughs> like that was such a good he performance. Did, what do you need to do? You know, what do yeah. you need to do? And Corey, yeah, I, I've actually was at his, one of his only fights, his pro official pro debut. Nice. Was in Milwaukee. So, um, yeah, that after that he was on ultimate fighter and, the rest is history. People don't know that, like, he didn't really learn basics <laughs> until he was, like, top 10 in the UFC, so. I know. I mean, it's, I say it enough, like, I feel like I'm almost a Corey Anderson hype man at this point, like, honestly. <laughs> I, love, I love and respect everything that dude does, but, like, his, he just doesn't get the respect he deserves. I'm going to keep saying it no. until it happens, like, it. Where he's at right now is truly remarkable. And given where he started, like, how many fighters could be 1-0 and as a pro? Like you said, go to the ultimate fighter, win the ultimate fighter. Like, what he did does not happen, ever. <laughs> like, it is so he's ridiculous. Like a survivor, and obviously he's my husband, so I'm biased. But <laughs> as a, from someone that knows MMA and is a fan of it, um, he, you know, I do think he is good enough to be the the UFC light heavyweight champ. I think he's good enough to be the Bellator light heavyweight champ. Like the fact that he like has made those adjustments on under that kind of pressure is huge and is constantly evolving and growing and you don't see a lot of guys like that um at that level that are still evolving. A lot of the guys at his level are kind of, you know, plateaued off. So Yeah. No, I think he's just getting into his prime, so hopefully people will be able to see that and uh, give him the respect I think he deserves. Things shift, actually, yeah. and the, the fans are fickle in the fight world, so maybe they'll come his on Team Anderson soon. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely hope so, because what's what's funny about it is, like, obviously Dwayne and I, you know, love Corey and everything, but... Every training partner, coach, anybody associated with Corey you ever talk to only has amazing things to say about Corey. And that's kind of like, that's kind of how I've always judged fighters on the side. Like I know yeah. how I feel with them and I've always had, you know, pleasant relationships with fighters. Like there's literally not a fighter I don't like almost to a fault to where like if, if they do do something bad, I'll like justify it, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or defend yeah. them. Cause it's like, I like this guy. He's always treated me well, but uh, like Corey He's a guy that no matter who you talk to that's trained with him, that's coached him, whatever, it's only positive things to say. Like like, like you said in the beginning, he speaks his mind, but I think that's just who he is as a whole. You know, he's just a real dude at his core. Like all of his training partners feel the same. All of his coaches feel the same. Everybody says he sucks to match up against in the gym because he's just always bringing it. Like he's always just got that relentless Corey Anderson pressure. So I love it. I love hearing all that. <laughs> well, he's the real deal, hopefully. Everyone will get to see that soon. Looking forward to his fight in October and get on with this tournament finally. Yeah, what's that like? I, I don't mean to like turn the interview to you, but I did want to. <laughs> I did want to ask you because, um, like, full disclosure. Obviously, Chris Dempsey, the guy Rex fought at, at two four seven. Dempsey's a guy I've talked to since before he was in the UFC and Bellator, like when he was still on the Pittsburgh regional scene. So I, I had a really good relationship with Dempsey. And that was my first time like watching somebody that I had a personal relationship with get like 
viciously knocked out right in front of me. Like it, it was, it was weird. Like as a journalist, you're supposed to always, you know, separate everything, but you can't help it. Like what, what's it like for you when Corey does have a fight coming up and you know, you know, you know what could happen in there. And I know you believe in him and know everything, but what is that like for you? I mean, it's incredibly hard and it only gets harder. So yeah. it's, Especially after the OSP knockout, I think that really like kind of scarred me for a while where it just was so vicious that it scared me, obviously, and I was scared for his health. So I just know that's a very real possibility every fight, especially at that weight class, and that's what's kind of nerve-wracking because even though I know he's better, um, it only takes one punch. Especially at 205. Those guys are about 230 some pounds by the time they get into that cage. It's just the longer you're in there, the more likely it could happen. So it's definitely scary. I hate it. And I'm happy when it's over. <laughs> and hopefully he continues like the last couple fights and makes it quick and easy like he should be. So <laughs> yeah, that's ideal. Those fights are ideal. I don't yeah. like it dragging out longer than it needs to. So. Does it make it easier or harder for you that you do train and, like, you understand fighting more than the average fighter wife, you know? Um, I guess I haven't done it as a not as not being a fighter, but I feel like it makes it harder just because you know the pressure and I feel the pressure for him, you know, and um, you understand, like, really what it you're risking i don't think people understand all the time mm-hmm. you know? i can't imagine yeah like i said more kids we have longer we're together the harder it gets so i'm i enjoy this but i'll be happy when it's done <laughs> for sure i definitely understand that but yeah i appreciate you taking the time so much and giving me your perspective i definitely um respect your art to your work um and i'm excited that you have ventured out to do your own thing now yeah awesome i definitely appreciate the time too i appreciate you reaching out and giving me the chance to help Corey, you know build his ego a little bit on this podcast too that's all he's good <laughs> here's me talking about my husband <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever yeah. No, no, it, it was awesome. I do. I appreciate the time, and I and I hope that you are good with the kids today, and they have an awesome day and everything. I'm looking forward to Corey's fight too, obviously. Yeah, thank you, and maybe we'll run into you. I'm sure we will. It's a small world, so. Yep, and you never know. Like, like I said, I was backstage in Johnstown, and there's Corey Anderson just <laughs> shadow boxing. I feel like he just pops up in random places, shadow boxing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, good luck with that. And I'll um, keep my eye on that promotion as well. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Once again, thank you, Hunter, for taking the time to chat with me about your experience as an MMA journalist. Really appreciate hearing your perspective. And if anyone wants to check out his new business, it's homestech.com. He writes so you don't have to. He does business writing and marketing. And 
good luck, Hunter, with your new position at 24-7 Fighting Championships out of Pittsburgh. Everyone keep their eyes peeled for that regional promotion. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at The First Fight. And you can check out all our archive episodes at thefirstfightpodcast.com. 